Psalm 119, and it'll be our starting point. We have a, a topical message today. We'll go to or at least reference other scriptures, but this is our starting point in Psalm 119, right in the middle of the Bible. going to look at today, uh, the, the direction we're going today as we open the Bible and we look at other scriptures is this. We want to consider God's perspective about womanhood, God's perspective about womanhood, and get a f- sense of what the Bible teaches on that, okay? I think that'd be helpful for us, and I'll explain why in a little bit. Psalm 119, verse 100, actually, let's back up to a few, few of the verses before it. Let's go 126. 27 and 28. I'll, I'll read those three verses right there if you'll follow along. It says there in Psalm 119, 126, <clears throat> the psalmist said, It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. One verses, Verse 128, let's read that verse together, just that, la, that last verse I read. Begin, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. As I think about our subject today, and I think about that verse, it reminds me of something that I've mentioned before that's an, uh, an example that I always think of in my mind. Um, and that's the concept of maps and old maps. Now, how many ever, does anybody have an old map at their house? I mean, like, I don't mean like an old map like you got it in 1970. I mean, like, a, usually it's a picture of an old map from the 1700s or something. Anybody have, happen to have artwork? Sometimes people have artwork like that. Okay. Here's some old maps that I saw. I'm sorry, I printed them in black and white, and you probably wouldn't be able to see it anyways. Did you know at one time they thought there was the island of California? And they made a map about it. The island of California. There it is right there. If you can see it, here's uh, Arizona somewhere. And the island of California and some guy in 1510, a Spanish explorer, wrote of a land where there was no man but hundreds of beautiful women. And the island of California, that's what he said. And people started believing that stuff. And then until finally in 1747, the king of Spain had to make a proclamation saying that California was not an island, and so on. And so, but people made maps of it. They made maps and published it, and it showed, this is what it showed. And people believed that. That's what it looked like. And that's what they thought. Um, How about this? How about the, I didn't know this one, uh, Australia, uh, which is a country and a continent. So Australia, the, the secret inland seas of Australia. Some thought there was some secret inland seas to Australia. Now, if you're familiar with Australia, it's pretty much habitable around the edges. The central part is pretty barren. There's interesting things there, but it's pretty barren. But they had made a map. A man had made a map, an Englishman named Thomas Moslin. I can't remember what year. 
He made a map of Australia, and he made a map that showed the delta of Australia, and it shows this river that goes way in, and it branches off into other rivers, and there's a big, I don't know if he meant like salty sea or lake, but there's a big body of water, probably a fresh water is probably what he put there. Big old lake in the middle of Australia, and it was kind of like, yeah, you wish. <laughs> if you're familiar with Australia, they would have loved to have had that big old lake there. Uh, but a guy actually seriously made a map, took the time to make a map, and to put out details of it, and name things, and name mountain ranges, and publish it, hoping it was true, but it's not true. Um, and then, some of you may have heard of this, this is harder to see. This, is, this was kind of a popular idea for many years. This is the Western Hemisphere, so you have South America, North America. North America is quite distorted. We don't have that much land to the west there. Um, and then there's this bottom area called Terra Australis, Terra Australis, which is, I believe, Latin for the Great Southland. Now, they're not saying, hey, there's Australia. There was a thought for years that far southwest Pacific, it was occupied, the southwest Pacific and including the whole South Pole there was a large mass of land that occupied it. So just imagine Antarctica and Australia all connected and just even bigger. A mass of land, and they put it on a map. It was first mentioned by Aristotle in the 4th century B.C. He, he said it. Um, and then in 1576, an explorer, I think a Brazilian explorer, claimed to have discovered it and went there to Terra Australis. And, and then there was a report in 1770 that its inhabitants numbered more than 50 million people. And then they did some real exploring and had satellites that got up in the air and were like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not really there. Now here's my, I want you to keep that thought in mind. I've used this illustration before. Keep that thought in mind of maps of men making maps. How do they do stuff like that? They, they go around on ship, and, and brave men have done that. I'm not diminishing explorers and stuff like that. And they trace the coasts, and they try to navigate their where they're at, how many miles they went this way, and they're trying to trace out the edges of land and produce maps, and it, hasn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, our explorers have done that, and then people have embellished them. But the point is, is these maps are made by men who are depending on their navigating around on the ground and trying to write something and saying, this is what things look like. But what is it we look at now? We look at, uh, here we go, here's a map. And of course, the, the, the earth is sphere and this is unwrapped here. But the, the proportion of our continents here and of the land masses, we know is accurate. It's been verified by a higher view, right? It's been verified. This has been verified by satellite. Now, explorers down on the ground going around the seas and across land have gotten this pretty close. Some of them exaggerated. Some of them were greatly off. But we know, we know this is what it looks like. We've had planes high enough, satellites high enough, the astronauts going out there and say, yep, that's it. This is the accurate view. The reason it's an accurate view is because it got more of a heavenly view. 
Now that is, the, that is a symbol of how people are about their mentality versus God's mentality. That's a symbol about people's mentality. The man, me, man, and mankind, the world, has a mentality about name it. They have a mentality about money. They have a mentality about family, about gender, about marriage, about uh, all kinds of things, about um, what's right, what's wrong. And in, in this case, we're narrowing it down the idea of view, our view of women or womanhood. The world has a mentality. The world has a perspective they've mapped out that they think this is how it should be. And they have a map. And they have a, a, a view and sometimes, just because man has a view about, name it, name anything. Just because man, just because the world, just because philo- there's man-made philosophy that has a view about any, uh, any particular thing, money, family, sexuality, uh, what's right, what's wrong, just because they have a view and they publish it and they say this is how it is, doesn't mean it's accurate. It's man navigating around and judging things according to his own judgment. And he makes maps, and they're skewed. They say, this is what a family should look like. This is what womanhood should be. This is how, it should, this is how you should view sexuality. This is how you should view uh, morality or lack thereof. And they, men have maps, maps representing their value system. When it comes to actual maps, if we depend on what men can discover on the ground, it's not always dependable. But when men go up higher and make a map, it's like, okay. The same thing for value systems, the same things for how I'm going to judge anything in my deal, encountering in my life. What do I need to do? I need to not depend on the voices of men and what they think. I need to depend on a heavenly view. I need to, like the psalmist said, esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be an accurate map, to be right, and hate every false way. Look in, the psalmist said, therefore I esteem all thy precepts, all your statements, all your value judgments, God, concerning everything you've ever said, concerning everything you say, to be right on. And I hate every false way. In other words, I know this sounds very, you know, Uh, It sounds churchy, but we need to just believe simple things. In other words, whatever God says about anything is right, and I need to adapt it. I need to adapt to it, especially in this narrowing down to the subject of how people view women, how women view women, how men view women, how young men view women, how young ladies view women. We need to have God's mind, God's view about womanhood. There's a few reasons why. Because it's, 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 it's in trouble <laughs> in this country and in places of the world. Let me, let me speak to you. We're going to see some other scriptures here, but we're starting out with this idea of esteeming what God says about anything, particularly womanhood. I want to esteem whatever God says about this to be right. There's four common attitudes about women, womanhood. Four common attitudes. And, I, and, I'm kind of, and, and one would be an abusive attitude. 
There's an attitude. Some people may not be dominated by an abusive attitude. It might be they're freq they frequently have abusive, they sometimes have an abusive attitude. Some people commonly have an abusive, but an abusive attitude is a mentality that some people have about women. And it's not just some, you know, caveman in some, uh, you know, weird country somewhere. It could be a, a cultured American man that has an abusive attitude about women in a cultured American church. That's a wrong attitude. Sexually abusive, physically abusive, verbally abusive. There's some people have, I can just blop, I can say whatever rough thing I want to say, do whatever rough thing I want to do, use how, this woman however I want. There is, this is an attitude and it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's in the, there's some countries where it's actually under, well, he's beating his wife over there, that's normal. Why are we all upset about that? There's countries like that where the attitude, the mentality is it's okay to you know, kick your wife around. I, actually, I, I read Bill Rice's book uh, if you read Bill Rice's book, Cowboy Boots in Darkest Africa, he records some of the things he came across in Africa. One of them's kind of funny. It ends up being funny. Um, but this man was trying to get his wife to do something, and he beat her. Bill Rice saw this. He's like, this is not right. And he, and he thought uh, she was knocked out. And the guy, this, it's an African man in one of these jungle tribes, and he starts walking down the road. And Bill Rice saw this woman get up, and she went out, she whacked that guy and knocked him out cold. And that part was funny. But Bill Rice honestly said, I don't know what's going to happen to her. But it's wrong. Abusive attitude's wrong, whether it's from the, an African tribe that's undeveloped or in a cultured American country, an abusive, verbally, sexually, physically abusive mentality is wrong. Never excused. And the reason why is because we're going to see God's view doesn't view that way. There's another common attitude about women. Uh, the abandonment attitude. The abandonment mentality. It's where it's like, I don't beat my wife. I don't beat, come on, pastor. I don't beat my wife. That's dumb. But, you know, some guys, they just constantly ignore or some males constantly just, eh, don't, never mind them. Never mind her. There's a, the abandonment. I abandon you in the sense of ignore, neglect, disregard. You're irrelevant. That's an attitude. There's abusive attitude. There's the abandonment attitude. Then I think what's happening a lot right now, and people that are watching, if I get enough people watch right there, they're going to hate this, is the acquiescent attitude. Just capitulate to whatever a woman says. Just acquiesce, capitulate to the demands of whatever a woman or women say. Now that's not the right attitude either. We'll see in scripture. If she wants to be the boss, okay, be the boss. You wanna be the pastor? Okay, be the pastor, don't stand in that way. You wanna do this, you wanna do that, you wanna do everything a man does? Well, who are you to say that she can't do everything a man does? And there's that attitude. The capitulation attitude. The, this is so foreign. If, 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 if this type of thing right here is so, uh, I mean, saying this, that what I'm trying to convey is becoming a common mentality in America. Um, we went from, you know, people of oppressed women, oppressed women. Now it's like just lay down and let them do whatever they want. With, just, to, just to jump ahead, 
We're not allowed to do that as men. We don't have that privilege. We have a responsibility to lead, which is, it's easier to lay down and say, do whatever you want, than it is to say, no, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to do what's right for you because I'm called to. I know CNN doesn't like that and all the other secular medias and all that. I know that and it's the further we go down in society, the more it's going to be made fun of. But I have an obligation before God to esteem his precepts concerning all things to be right and hate every false way. And I just, I need to be a man who leads my wife and my girls and, and in general women that, with whom I have to do and to treat them rightly. That's what I have to do and not just say, hey, whatever you want. Oh, you want to be this? You want to do that? There's, there's a, there's a, imbalance that's happening, and I'll try to describe it. I'll give you a few examples. And I'm not against women's right to vote. I'm not saying all that stuff at all, or work even. But let me give you quickly a, good, a few examples of the acquiescent attitude, the capitulation attitude. Adam, the first man. You know what God said to Adam? Adam, Eve took of the fruit. She was tricked by Satan, gave to her husband. He had his eyes wide open when he did that. And then God came and busted them. What'd you do? The woman you gave me, she gave me to eat. What'd you do? The Satan tricked me. Satan, you know, and he went down the line. He confronted Adam. God confronted the woman. God confronted Satan. And then here's what I'm getting at. In Genesis 3.17, God said back to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you're busted and you're going to have this, this, and this issue as a part of the curse. God's not saying, hey, be a sensitive husband. Listen to your wife. If she needs her feet rubbed, you need to do the dishes and help her out. He's not saying don't listen to her voice in the sense of helping her. He said to Adam, you've capitulated. She was telling you to do something you knew should not have been done or, or bringing you into something you knew shouldn't have been done. You should have been a big boy about it. I'm just trying to tell you what God's saying here. He acquiesced. Now, it's kind of easy to look hindsight and, and pick on Adam, but it's there. The other one is Abram. Who is Abram's wife? Sarah, Sarai. And they're getting older. God promised them. He said, you're going to have a kid. It's going to happen when you're older. And Abram and Sarai are just like, we're not having a kid. What's going on? What's going on? It just isn't happening. God said it was. And Sarah had this plan. I know. Why don't you... Why don't you take my handmaid, Hagar, and be with her and have a child by her? And that's, that's what will work. And Sarah suggested to Abram that he do this, that he take her handmaid as a concubine or whatever, second wife, and have a child by her. And maybe that's what God wants, wants to use. And Abram goes, okay. That's in the Hebrew. <laughs> Not really. But he went along with it. That was a bad idea. If you know the rest of the story, it was a bad idea. I don't ultimately put the blame on Sarah, but on Abraham. He took Hagar. I don't put a blame on Hagar either. But he had that child, and it became a mess. That child became... It, the, the child in and of itself is not a crime, <laughs> But that dynamic that he brought into that relationship threw everything off. It was a mess. Why? He capitulated. He acquiesced. That's not a right attitude. I, can't, I care about what my wife wants, and, and I hear that often. And I, you men need to care about what your wife wants and other ladies and daughters. But we got to have a sense of 
we got to be really wise on how we respond to their calls. That's just what I'm saying from the Bible. Ahab. Who's Ahab's wife's name? Jezebel. And she, to, to prescription of their marriage, Ahab married Jezebel. She was a definite non-believer. I think he may have became a believer later in his life. But she fanned the flames of idolatry in his life. And he went along with it. When Ahab also was pouting, becoming a big baby because a guy lived next to him named Naboth, had a beautiful land, had a vineyard, and he said, Naboth, you want to sell me your, sell me that land? And Naboth's like, uh, no, sir, this was in my family, we're keeping this. And Ahab's like, mm, you won't sell me his land. He, the king is pouting because he can't buy the land near his house, so to speak. And he goes and lays on his bed and turns over and looks at the wall, wouldn't even turn around. And Jezebel, the big shot in the family, comes in and says, what's wrong with you, big boy? Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. You're the king. We can make this happen. I'll take it from here. And she did. She started writing letters and blackmailed this guy or set him up, framed him, I should say framed him to make it look like he was a criminal and he blasphemed God. She made it so that this innocent man, Naboth, was brought before the public and killed and his land was taken. What happened? This guy, let he acquiesced here. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't care about people's needs around us. It's, again, a man to his wife, a man to his daughters or to, to others, we need to care. But right now in America, there's this shove it in your face, don't ever tell me what to do, ever, mentality from women to men. It's being pushed to us to have that. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this God's view or is this a distorted map? Is abuse God's view or a distorted map of womanhood? Is the idea of you know, abandonment, just dismissing women, is that man's view or God's view? Is being, being just acquiesced and let a woman under any circumstances with a, as an open, a blank check, do whatever she wants, is acquiescing like that man's view? Is that a map that man has made or one that God has made? I think what I've described, these first three are false ways. But then there's the authentic view, the authentic mentality according to Scripture, and we got to and we're trying to be very simple here. I'm gonna, I have a lot of scriptures. I might just have to reference them. When man makes a map, going back to the example, it's a, it can be obscure and depend on earthly perspective. Today's maps are based on satellite and a heavenly perspective. So with man's view of things, there can be skewed and you encounter difficulty navigating by it until we submit to God's view. God's view is what's best. God's view is what works best. So, did you know that, just as a, this is just kind of an observation. We're talking about womanhood, and we're going to make reference to more scriptures. You know that if you study countries where Christianity had its roots deep and tight, and it was penetrating society, women were treated the best in those types of countries. Just look in history. Do a little survey of history. Women were treated best in countries that had, where gospel work was making headway. 
that tells you something of the Lord Jesus Christ and his effect on people. What we want to do is an outline. Here's what we want to do with the rest of our time. We want to give a basic outline of God's outlook on the woman. Now, we need this right here. What I'm telling you we need, and if you find something that I'm saying that is wrong, you can, I'm not, be, I'm not being this, saying this in a cocky way, you could please come to me and say something. One-on-one is good. And say, I don't know about this, Pastor, or this scripture. But I'm going to give you five, uh, a five-fold outline here. I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll try to go through this. Number one, here's, here's what composes, here's an outline of God. If God were to map out womanhood, here's kind of the outline of it. Number one, part of her value is in completing the man. Part of her value is in completing the man. We're going to see number two, her, she has vulnerabilities that a man should help guard against. We see that in Scripture. Number three, she does have a voice, but it's not without limits. Number four, she has a vessel that must be respected in matters of privacy. Number five, she is vital to the existence and enhancement of a home. Those are, that's kind of a five-fold sketch of God's map of womanhood. We could do more, we could do less, but that's this that gives you a sketch of God's view, and we'll break it down. Number one, we see in Scripture, we can, let's run quickly to Genesis 2. We see in Scripture that part of her value, not all of her value, but when you think of womanhood, part of a woman's value is in completing the man. In completing the man. That's the original prompt here in God creating Eve, it says, Genesis 2, verse 18. Says in the Lord, so there's one gender right now. There's male right now on the earth. There's Adam, and he's watching these male female animals go by, and he's naming some of them and realizing there's something missing in his life. Genesis two eighteen. The Lord God said, "It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him." And the next few verses describe Adam by himself naming animals. The end of verse 20, there's a phrase there, Genesis 2, at the end of verse 20. But for Adam, there was found not an help meet for him. All the animals had a corresponding, there was a male corresponding female, but Adam did not have the corresponding female, the, the help meet, fit for him. So what does God do? The first surgery, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And, and Adam gives these complimentary statements about her. So here you have the Scripture describing Adam by himself. He's incomplete. The animals got their deal. I don't have a wife. I don't have a female. I don't have a helpmeet for me. I don't have a companion. I'm alone. You know, some guys... <coughs> They make a mess of their apartment when they're bachelors, you know. Some, pe- some men, they, they just need a wife for an array of reasons. But in this case, Adam needed a completer, not a competer. My wife's good at competing in board games, and she does usually win. She uses, she's just smart. 
She's a competer in that sense, but she's my completer in many other senses. What does it mean here? Part of a woman's vice. So when we look at what's God's perfect, why is, a woman, why is there women around? Originally, God said, hey, men, needs, men need a, a counterpart here. Men need an aid, a companion, not a doormat, not a maid, but an aid, a VP of the home. 1 Corinthians 11, a reference is 8 to 9 in verses 11 and 12. It says, the woman, the man was not created. This sounds so politically incorrect, but it's the Bible, so we're not trying to follow politics. This, the man was not created for the woman, Paul says, but the woman for the man, Paul said. And then it says, not for the man to abuse, but for the man to appreciate. And then Paul says, but neither is the man in existence without the woman, neither is the woman in existence without the man. <laughs> they need each other to exist. 1 Peter 3, 7 tells husbands, listen to this. Again, we're talking about her value in completing the man. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 says to men, um, And ye husbands, likewise ye husbands, dwell with your wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Here's what I want to say about a woman and a man. I, I, I wanted to bring this to you today, and I've referenced this illustration before. Imagine in my right hand is a, uh, a vase. Imagine in my left hand is a hammer. The vase I bought for 20 bucks. The hammer I bought for 20 bucks. They're both useful. Uh, the vase is um, it's good, it's lovely just by itself. The vase looks good on a table. The vase holds, uh, it can hold those weird marbles that they sell in Michael's, which I have no idea what they're for. Uh, flat, obscure shaped marbles. Uh, or it can hold flowers, something useful. <laughs> uh, the vase there can hold something and it adds beauty. It's pleasantness. Now the vase is, you don't want to just drop it. Beautiful. It's not like it's a football you can throw it around. It's a weaker vessel. It's beautiful, useful, lovely. But then there's the hammer. 20 bucks too. Got that one for 20 bucks. The hammer, it's not going to hold flowers. <laughs> um, it can help build a table. It can help, uh, uh, it can help uh, demolish things that are in the way. It can help, um, it, it can help secure things. But they're both, both worth the same, but they have different assignments. That is the analogy of women and men. We're equal in value, but not in vessel. We have different vessels. This you don't want to use a vase as a hammer. And you don't want to use a hammer to hold flowers. There's different, we're different vessels. See, he's like, well, that's so basic. I know, but do you realize that people right out in the public are like, there's nothing, I can do anything a man can do. And a man, there's a man in California that's tried to become a woman and wants to run for governor, I think. No, it can't work. And he's going to suffer. There's going to be, there already probably are problems with that. But, okay, so 
the, the vase, the hammer. Women, beautiful, the weaker vessel. Men, hardy, the hammer. Equal value, not equal vessels. We're appraised the same, but we're assigned differently. That's, that's, I just want you to understand that. I know some of you understand. Maybe that'll help you explain to somebody else. Um, but part of a woman's value is in completing, adding enhancement to that man. Number three, number two, she has vulnerabilities that a man should help guard against. The Bible teaches that a woman does have some vulnerabilities, not that men don't. But a woman has vulnerabilities, and a man, the Bible teaches, should step up, should be on guard, should be a help against her vulnerabilities and guard her. Genesis 3.1, who does Satan go to? He knew there was two people there. Who does he go to? It's not because she's dumb-er than him. It's not about that. There was just, there was just an angle that the Satan can get at with a woman that sometimes, sometimes he can't get at with men. And there may be vice versa. But in this case, Satan, I'm going to go at this one right here. Paul referenced it in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 3. He says, you know... I'm like jealous over you, Corinthian church. You're like Eve, and I'm trying to guard you. I'm trying to set a pick against the devil here because he's trying to go after you. And he's saying that, he's implying like, you know, she was vulnerable, Eve in the garden was vulnerable to Satan. And I don't know what was happening with Adam. I don't know if he was standing there listening, if he was across the way picking plums. I don't know what he was doing, but do you see that? And so the scripture talks about in Ephesians 5.23, the husband-wife dynamic, and it says the husband is the head of the wife and he is the savior of the body, that is, of that relationship. I need to be, guys that are married, we, and guys, little guys that want to get married, you need to be the hero of the marriage. <laughs> we need to be the savior of the body. That is, we're, we're helping and we're guarding our wives against vulnerabilities. We need to be on guard for that. I remember just my dad and and I'll try to get this clear, this story clear. My dad commonly would carry a, a gun uh, for years and years. It was like, I didn't know any different. My dad always had a gun on him, open carry. And you can still do that, I understand. And, um, but I remember, I don't remember, but I remember my parents telling me this, is that years ago at the Arizona State Fair, uh, mom and dad <coughs> were there, and I was a little baby. And... Um, they had either, I don't know if they were coming or going, but they were outside. There's a chain link fence there off of, you know, in that Grand Avenue area in Phoenix over by the old Coliseum where they had the fair. And mom and dad were on the outside sidewalk cars by the Arizona State Fair. On the other side of the chain link fence was all the fair activity and everything. And dad said that he heard some ruckus. He heard yelling. I don't know if there was a gunshot, but he heard commotion and he sees one or two. One guy running toward my dad. The chain link fence was between him and my dad. And this guy running. And behind that guy was police officers running after him. And here's my dad is in their line of uh, pursuit. My mom's here holding me. I'm a little baby. My mom gets down behind the car. My dad pulls his gun and draws it. He just holds it there. The guy comes running, jumps up the fence, crawls over the fence. Dad just follows him like this, and that's all he did. The police come over, jump over the fence, and like, why didn't you do anything, right? My, I don't know what my dad said, something like, what do you want me to shoot him? You know, he was just keeping guard. 
of the family. Had his, he had his gun drawn a couple other times before, but I'm glad he protected us then from vulnerabilities. Now, that was needed for our family physically. For us men, we need to be like that. And a lot of us want to be, yeah, I got a gun, Pastor. We almost want that to happen so we can pull it out. See? I pulled my gun one time, protected my family. There's other things to protect from, though. Dumb decisions. And I know sometimes you need your wife to help you with that, too. But just other things like, is my wife being deceived into something? Is my little sister being deceived into something? Is this young lady, my sister in the Lord, getting, you know, do I need to look out for her a little bit with the help of another lady? We are supposed to look out for ladies who are vulnerable men and guard against it. That's what we're supposed to do. You see that in Scripture. The men being a protector. One time, my, my parents were resting. This is, I think it was in South, I don't know if it was Tempe or South Scottsdale, that duplex where you guys lived in. And, and um, I was, again, a little baby. And my mom and dad, it was their first house. And my dad, I remember my dad telling the story. He said, he's like, I was asleep. We were sleeping. And, and my mom goes, Mike, like in the middle of the night, maybe after midnight or something. Mike, what? There's somebody breathing outside of our window. My dad's like, how could you hear somebody breathing outside of the window? My mom could then. She had really good hearing. And my dad's like, this is crazy. What are you talking about? He goes over to the window. He opens the window, and there's somebody right there on the other side of the window. And that guy got scared off, right, and ran away. And my dad was probably scared too. And But anyways, I'm go ahead. found him. See, <laughs> my dad, I'm glad to have him on guard for mom, on guard for me, on guard to draw the gun, etc. But there's more than that. And, and when we see God's map of womanhood, womanhood, we see not overbearing men, but men that have to keep out, help out, keep eyes protecting and helping them. By the way, how did the enemy come? We'll have to shorten this here. And maybe pick it up next week. How did the enemy come again? Originally, he came to the woman and ruined everything. And by the way, how did the solution to humanity come? Jesus came through a woman too, a virgin womb, and was fixing everything. He honored womanhood by coming through the virgin's womb and showing up and saying, we're going to fix what? happened to the daughters of Eve and their children, the sons of Adam, and we're going to take care of this on the cross, of course. What a wonderful thing. He honors womanhood. Well, we'll wrap this up. We'll have to continue this next week. But, um, again, the thought is, and this applies to everything, whatever God says, I want to take his view, I want to take his mentality, especially right now on this matter. Remember, there's value in women. There's equal value. There's a practical value in completing the man. There's vulnerability. We'll look at, there's a, they have a special voice, but it's not without limits. Let me ask you something as we wrap this up. Do you ignore this map? Do we just cherry pick the Bible? I like what God says about that there, but you know, that seems a little extreme. I don't know if I did that and be kind of accepted in America. 
Are we picking and choosing what we see in the Bible? Do you ignore God's map or do you, do you esteem it in this matter? Ladies, do you esteem what God says about yourself? That's the key is what does God say about me, not what is the world saying about me? We need to esteem His precepts in all things, especially in this thing, to be right so we can, as Christians, properly navigate womanhood, womanhood and help women, help our little women. The greatest issue we need to esteem is, the, is this issue here of what to do with Jesus Christ, the one who came through the womb of a, the womb of a woman, and make sure that we've accepted him as our Savior to be our forgiveness of sins and our guarantee to everlasting life. That's the most important thing we need to esteem, is to accept him as our personal Savior. Let's stop right here, and Lord willing, we'll try to pick up on this next week.